We're in a series called Keeping It Together. Today we finished that series, and I'd like you to find your sermon outline. If you don't have one, you can pick up a paper copy anytime you come in, but we have them on the Three Crosses app. Find your way to the outline if you wouldn't mind. And open your Bible to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're using the Book Rack Bible, which I hope you are, if you don't have a paper version or an electronic version of the Bible, everybody's Bible should be open. I want your eyes to see the biblical text this morning. 1794 is where you'll find it in that book rack Bible. Don't ever feel embarrassed about looking at the table of contents if you don't know where somewhere is. So this series has been dedicated to helping us be a better caring people. We need to learn how to care better. And so this series has been about helping us learn how to care. We have care ministries in our church. You've been hearing about that for five weeks. Hopefully you've got a little bit better sense about the nets that we create to help people in their crisis, trials, problems, situations. That's beautiful. But we also are hoping to build a culture of care, which means every one of us need to get in the game. We need to be caring people. And it's often the case, many of us come from churches, or maybe you've even found in this church to be sometimes feeling a little uncaring. And that's true because whoever you're around at the time, if people are not caring, you might just label an entire church. Oh, that's the church. They don't care. Because you know one person that didn't care for you and they go to this church. But we work hard at it and it's something that we keep working hard at and I'm still wanting to work hard on this. And I guess I have a sensitivity to this because I see people that are not cared for a lot. I, I, I'm around people that I just can tell by talking to them that they don't feel very cared for. And so we work hard at that. I work hard at that, and I hope you do too. And so that's what this series has been about. And so we've talked about, okay, what do people that need care need? What do they need? They need, number one, they need an encounter with the living God. Okay, number one. That was the first week. Secondly, they need a loving community. They need to remember that they're not alone, that there's people around them that care. Thirdly, they need a clear path. They need to know uh, the direction to go. They need to have clear instruction that comes from God's word. And then they need to trust God's promises. So if you need help, you need encounter with God, you need a loving community, you need a clear path. You also need a living hope. You need to believe that you're going to come out of this thing. Whatever it is, this thing is in your life, you're going to come out of it. And when you get out of it, you also know you'll probably be back in something else because that's the way life is, right? You never get to the place like, oh, finally, no more cares, no more concerns. On that day is the day when we meet the Lord, right? Amen? You know, that, that's the day when our cares are over. Until that day, Jesus promised. I, you know, I remind people all the time. You know, Jesus gave a great promise. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Isn't that a great promise? That's a great promise. He says, but take courage. I've overcome the world. So there's the great promise. So that's what we've been talking about. And today we come to this last piece. What do we need? We need, we need to give back. We need to give back. Okay, and, and as strange as it sounds, that's a part of our healing. If we don't give back, if we get a little bit too focused on ourselves, which we can all be at times, right? If we get just a little too focused on ourselves and don't think about others around us, we're really not going to heal the way God wants us to heal. Part of our healing comes from actually, watch this, in the midst of your struggle, actually reaching out, caring for someone else. That's the way God fixes us in a beautiful way. And so if you've never thought about that, we're going to see that from the Word of God here this morning. 
And so with that in mind, let me read verses 3 through 7 of this beautiful section of Scripture. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope in you, or for you, is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Okay, there it is. I want to show you from this text this morning three things about giving back. Three things about giving back. And they're real simple. They'll go fast. The first one, if you're taking notes, is that giving back begins with a settled belief in the character of God. Now, this is going to be a little bit uh, of a review this morning for some of us, but I, I can't, we can't go anywhere in this text before we just think about what Paul says here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. If you're wondering, wondering a little bit or ever about what is God really like, Paul is describing God here today to all of us in very practical terms, and he's saying you want to write this down, he's saying about God, saying he's compassionate and faithful to comfort us with whatever it is we're going through. He's compassionate and faithful to comfort us with whatever it is that we're going through. Whatever life has thrown at us, whatever problems we've got ourselves into, whatever problems someone else has got us into, whatever we're going through, we have a God that is compassionate and a God who comforts us no matter what we're going through. And I'm grateful for that. This is the God we serve. This is the God we come to worship today. This is a God that is real, a God that is tangible, a God that knows our feelings, a God who recognizes our weaknesses, recognizes when we are prone to wander and how we feel it, prone to leave the Lord we love. This is a God who never gives up on us, always comes to us, always pursues us, with this relentless, faithful love. This is our God. And I'm grateful for that. Let me just go through a few scriptures. We'll share some of them together. We'll read them out loud. Let's start with this one. Let's read it out loud. This is Psalm 145. Ready? Here we go. God is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Isn't that great? Now, in case you're wondering who that is, that's you. He's made you, and he has compassion on you. I love Psalm 116. It reads, our God is full of compassion, verse 5. And I like, even when we've been rebellious, God is still a God who is known for his compassion. Isaiah 30, verse 18. In the context, Isaiah's prophesying and God's people have rebelled and God's bringing discipline on them. But watch this. Isaiah says, yet he longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. He rises to show you compassion. He's longing to show you compassion. This is the God that we serve. I'm so grateful. And then his compassion is something that we shout and sing about. Let's read Isaiah 49 verse 13. Ready? Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. 
For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. That's amazing. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't discipline us. That doesn't mean that God isn't a God of judgment, a God of wrath. I mean, let's get the full picture of God. But, but woven through all of God's character is what this word we find in the Old Testament uh, scriptures, uh, this hasad, H-E-S-E-D, is the English translation of the Hebrew word hasad. It's kind of said with a throw, hasad. And that's his loving kindness. It's his compassion. It's his, his amazing sense of, of our emotional and physical and spiritual need. And God, this God that we come to this morning is a God who is full of this compassion. He's full of compassion. I like how Jeremiah uh, writes of him in Lamentations. He says, though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. And back in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 8, in a surge of anger, I hid my face from you, God says, for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So God says, yeah, I'm going to step into your life sometimes. I'm going to bring discipline to your life. And here in Isaiah's context, 8th century uh, B.C., God is saying to his rebellious people, look, it's going to feel harsh. It's going to hurt. It's going to sting. But my everlasting compassion is over you. I'm doing this for your good. You know, kind of like a loving parent will say to their child before they discipline them, this is going to hurt me as much as it's going to hurt you, you know, kind of thing. I mean, God actually, you know, in a, in a greater sense, God understands it's not he's punitive. He doesn't like to see us going through difficult things and adding to our grief. But God is a God who says, I'm going to step in. I'm going to stir things some, sometimes up in your life to remind you that I'm a sovereign, committed God to bringing out the best in you and making you more into the image of my son if you trust me, if you trust me with your life. But over all of that is my great hasad. It's my, it's my loving kindness and my great mercy and compassion. So out of his unlimited compassion flows his unfailing comfort. And is there no, uh, no wonder why Jesus, when we read, follow Jesus through the Gospels, we come to places like in Matthew 9.36 where it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt what? Compassion. For he saw them as helpless and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. And you see that in chapter 14 and chapter 20 and different places. All through the Gospels, Jesus is exuding this emotional you know, connection with people who are harassed and helpless. The compassion of God seen in the, the Son of God. And that's why Jesus had such an incredible ministry compared to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Because Jesus actually cared for people. And people knew it. And what they received when Jesus cared for them was the care of God because Jesus was God in human flesh. Jesus was living out the purpose of the Father before people. Well, there's a lot more that could be said there. I guess what I'm trying to say is let's not forget that God is a God who comforts. I like what Isaiah 66, 13 says. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted. You know, there's something about a, a, the image of a mother with her child. And don't get me wrong, fathers, we care too, right? Dads, right? Dads, we care <laughs> too. See, that's part of our problem. We, oh. Yeah, we care too. But, you know, when I was a little kid, I remember when I, you know, fell off my bike or I had a problem, you know, I, I want my mommy, you know, like I want to run to my mommy. 
Because there's something about a mother's care. And isn't it interesting that God says, he says, as a mother comforts her child. This is me, God says. This is the way I comfort my people. I hold you close. I bring you in to my bosom. I hold you tightly. I like Jeremiah 31, 13. Then maidens will dance and be glad, young men will, and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrows. And here in 2 Corinthians, by the way, the whole theme of these first seven chapters of this amazing book is comfort in the midst of trials. All the way through. In fact, go to chapter 7 if you're in 2 Corinthians. Just go to chapter 7 and let me show you there in verses 6 and 7. You kind of see this whole principle at work, what Paul's saying right here in chapter 1. And Paul had a lot of problems when he was going into this book. And, you know, we know this is 2 Corinthians, but actually this is Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthians. And he's addressing this letter to them because there were some people that had set up sort of a, a psychological ambush and told everyone that Paul was a false apostle and they caused a lot of problems. And so he was dealing with problems on the outside, problems on the inside of this church. And, and, uh, and look at what he says here in verse 6. He says, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. So there you see exactly what Paul's talking about in chapter 1. Notice Titus was a comfort to Paul, but Titus got first encouraged and comforted by the Corinthians themselves. So Paul's saying this is how it works. Whatever it is that we're going through is actually what God's going to use to help us in their situation. So let's not forget about what Paul's talking about here. Back to chapter 1. I want you to see that what he's talking about here is that we give back because God first gave to us. We comfort because God has comforted us. And I think about all the comfort that God has given my life over the years. I think about people in my life. God gave me loving parents. God gave me a loving family. Now I have a wonderful wife and I've got beautiful children that care for me. They're adult children. They love me. I feel very loved. Um, I, I have a, a spiritual family that is just as real and powerful as my physical family. Uh, I look out into the congregation this morning. I see people that I dearly love, people that I know personally, people that have brought comfort into my life and difficult seasons of my life. And maybe we'll share a little bit about that a little later. But, you know, God, God uses us to encourage us so that we can be an encouragement to others. And that's what Paul's saying right here. He says, don't forget, don't forget the power of a phone call, the power of a text, flowers, Food, phone calls, these are things that touch our lives. And when you're down, you know, when you're down, when you're going through something, there's just nothing like someone knowing what you're going through and somehow responding to you in such a way that you feel loved, you feel cared for. And it's amazing. And like we've said from the beginning of this series, if there's one place that ought to happen, it's here. I don't mean necessarily physically here, although that's true too. I hope people get a lot of comfort this morning, but the real point is that we're connected enough to each other that over the six days of the week when we're not here, 
And all the hours beyond this hour that we're here, there's actually care going on in our lives. There's compassion and comfort going on because people have reached out and touched our lives. Did you notice in verses 3 through 7, especially just in verses 3 through 4, let me get there myself, do you see how many times the word comfort is used there? In, in those few verses, verses 3 through 7, we've got the, uh, the, the picture of comfort happening no less than 10 times. The Greek word is paraklesis. Uh, it comes from the word that describes comfort. Do you know the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, the divine comforter? He's known as the great paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete. And that comes from this Greek word, paraklesis, which is the idea of comfort and encouragement. This is our God. This is a description of who God is. And so when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's saying, look at how many times right here, verse 4, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those with any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from Just comfort, comfort, comfort. It seems a little overboard on comfort, but that's the point because there's also several words in this passage that talk about trials. Notice that the, the word uh, trouble or affliction shows up. The Greek word thlipsis, uh, three different times. And then the word suffering that comes from the word pathema, four different times in this text, which tells us that there's a lot of stuff going on here, which is a picture of the way life is. Life is full of suffering, problems, trouble, affliction. And so we need a lot of comfort to come around us. And all this to say that we have a God we have a God that meets us in our need. He's a God of comfort. And I think so often of people who don't know this God this way, um, who've been bereft of the kind of comfort that only he can give. I remember when I was a, a little boy, a couple doors up and across the street was a family. Uh, they had uh, two sons and the youngest son was a good friend of mine uh, and about my age. And so we spent a lot of time together as little boys running around the neighborhood and terrorizing and things. And, uh, but, but I always remember, you know, the contrast between his family and my family. Uh, his dad would come home usually around 4.30 in the afternoon, had probably been drinking before he got home. Uh, I learned this later, but would start into drinking when he got home. And, and it wasn't long before, and that's why, you know, my buddy was always outside playing because he knew what his home life was like. And we, you could hear from the street. You could hear yelling and screaming. And there was abuse going on. You could, you could hear pots and pans being thrown. I mean, it was just crazy. And, of course, later in life I realized, okay, his father was an alcoholic. He was an abuser. Um, and I just contrast that family experience, which was so horrific. In fact, my, my friend's older brother was so damaged by all of this, broken, um, that later as an adult, when he had a family of his own, he took his own life and murdered the, his wife in front of his children. I mean, and that was, you talk about a mess, and I was actually just starting in ministry at the time, I was working here at Three Crosses as a pastor, and they invited me to go over and, and do, some, uh, do the service for that family, that situation. Can you imagine? I mean, I can't, I can't. I remember that night like it was like the longest night of my life. And it was beautiful in many ways because I got to bring the gospel into this family that 
as a kid I grew up in, and of course we all go different ways, and now I'm, they know I'm a pastor, and I see them occasionally, and then this tragedy happens, and I'm brought back into the situation, and it was heartrending. It was crazy. To this day, I just don't, I can't imagine how that family even got through, and uh, the father of that family, at a very young age, came home one of those nights and dropped dead of a heart attack, and, uh, and so actually, in a way, that was kind of a relief to that family, as strange as that sounds, but it was a relief. I, I'm sure that there was a, a modicum of love. And by the way, this father that was abusive and alcoholic and all this stuff, I, I, I would bet my bottom dollar that he was also from a family that had the kind of brokenness over him. I mean, where do you get your brokenness? You get it from the people you love and the people that say they love you sometimes and love you in the weirdest ways. And so... And so you know, and I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a counselor, but I, I just see how brokenness like trickles down. In the scriptures, it talks about, you know, the sins of the fathers, you know, being visited on their kids. And that doesn't mean if you were a sinner that your kids are going to battle with all the same things of you just because of your sin. It just means you set up patterns in your life and you, you, you can't hide or disguise those things. It's going to come out sometimes in your family. Don't you look at your kids sometimes and go, that's me, Right? So brokenness is everywhere, and everyone is broken. And we said last week, and I, I don't know who even said it. Maybe it was Tim Keller who said it. You know, all of us are, are greater sinners than we believe, and we're more loved than we, could ima- be imagined, than we can imagine. And this is the way God looks at us. We're broken, but God has infinite love for us. He's got a compassion for us, and he can take us right where we are today. And I know I'm, I'm hitting some things right now that are really, ah, they're touchy, they're raw. But, you know, we're in a series called Keeping It Together, and we've got to be honest with ourselves and realize that there's a God who can step into the muck and mire of our lives, and he can actually bring comfort and peace. And I wish the father that lived two doors down from my home in where I grew up across the bay, I wish that man would have known the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know why my family, my parents didn't, maybe they did. I don't know what the interaction was with our families as parents growing up, but I know our families were way different. And that man needed the gospel. And there are people in your neighborhood that you see and people in your workplace. And every time you read the newspaper, somebody who snapped and blew up and went crazy, you wonder, were there Christians around? Was there anyone that could have brought some message of hope to give somebody a sense of I can go a new direction in my life. I can find peace and grace and love through a God that knows me and loves me. And that's why, that's why I believe in the gospel. That's why I'm a pastor. I, you know, I mean, my calling is, is, is connected completely to the reality of the, what God has done in my life. I want other people to experience. I don't want to hold it in. I don't want it to be for myself only. I'm grateful it's for me. But it's not just meant for me. Yeah, we should be crying about that in our lives. Some of us right now, we're just waking up to that fact. we got to share this message. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So if you're tired today, if, you're, if you feel broken today, and you don't know which way to go, and your life is all mixed up and and I don't even know how you got here. Someone invited you. Or maybe you've been sitting here forever. And nobody knows the, the turmoil that's inside your life. And you are just flat out tired. Hear the words of Jesus. Come to me. 
and I will give you rest. I will give you rest, Jesus said. Aren't you glad? And have you found rest in Jesus? And if you have, then this comes to the second point of giving back. Giving back starts with knowing who God is. Secondly, giving back is the healthy response to the comfort we've received. It's the healthy response. It's the natural response. Look at verse 4. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that... uh, there's a little thing in the Greek language called the Hena Clause, which is the purpose clause. And whenever you see in English, so that, that's the purpose clause. Everything proceeding is about what's going to come. And so what Paul's telling us here is that the reason we go through problems and that the God of comfort steps in to comfort us is so that we can comfort those with the trouble we ourselves have been comforted in. It's, a, it's an exchange that God says, look, I'm going to give you comfort so that you can pass it on to somebody else. I remember uh, Brian and Charlene were a part of our ministry for years. Um, they, they had kids about our age. They had two sons, Trevor and Andrew, beautiful kids. And they, they were part of our worship team. Brian was one of the most incredible piano players I had ever met. Um, and he was with us for a lot of years. And then he got a job transfer and moved to Denver, Colorado. So it was like, oh, you know, so he moves and he gets away from us. That's okay because God moves his people around. And he's in Denver and they find a great church, Cherry Hills Church. And uh, yeah, someone from Denver, someone from Cherry Hills maybe. Anyway, great, great, awesome, good, okay. So, so Cherry Hills, great ministry. They got plugged in, involved. And a couple, I don't know if I've got the timeline just right on this, but a couple of years after they were there, their youngest, Andrew, who was about 10 at the time, little after-school event went into, walked in the door and just collapsed and uh, died. Um, Like, he had a really rare heart thing that nobody had detected. He was a healthy, just fun little guy, and and he he was gone. And I remember how devastating this was for us because we loved the family. And I remember calling, and of course, their family back there, the church family had gotten around them, and there was just a lot of love and comfort and care and, uh, and you know, I, I, I decided, I felt like the Lord wanted me just to connect with him on a continued basis because, you know, I mean, he's not in our church, but he was certainly loved, and I just, oh, I couldn't imagine what he was going through. So for about a year, every Saturday, um, Brian and I would talk, and, and, you know, Brian told me on almost every time we talked, it ended in tears, one or both of us, you know, but he would tell me, he would say, you know, Larry, I can't, I would be lying if I told you that we are so sad, if I, if I told you we were, weren't the saddest in our lives, this is the most devastating thing that's ever happened to us, we don't even know how we can go on, but at the same time, as hard as it's been, I, I can, I'd be lying if I didn't say that God is a God who met, meets us in the trough of our sorrow with the depth of his own compassion and care and comfort that just keeps us going. He goes, it's like a parallel track. If, if one was not there without the other, we would be dead. We wouldn't know how to get, put our feet in front of each other, in front of the next every day of our lives. We need the, the comfort that only God has given to us. And, you know, that was many years ago, and we, Brian and I still keep in touch. Um, we talk every now and then, and he's always reminding me of the power of God's comfort through God's people through this crazy season of their lives. And I was thinking about how all the care ministries that we have, how many of them 
come out of people's individual crises where they decide, you know, hey, I've been through a divorce. I've been through a relational breakup. I've been through an addiction. I've been through um, an incarceration. I've been through some issue that I felt the comfort of God in such a powerful transformational way that I've got to be a part of helping others because I know there's others going through the same thing that I'm going through or the same thing I've been through. And I want to encourage you with that today. Um, And I want to give you just a little raw insight to the fact that as a pastor and as a chaplain with Alameda County Fire, um, I'm in a lot of places where there's just devastation. And it's crazy. I mean, I debriefed the guys. We had three firefighters that were in the crowd at Las Vegas when the shooting started. And I was a part of a debrief with those guys. And they've, it's still very raw for them. They were with their wives. And it was immediate, you know, scramble and help them and triage and work with people that, I mean, just gruesome scenes. And they, they did it well into the night. It was a crazy experience. I've been alongside of parents who have lost babies, SIDS. I've been with parents that lost teenagers to suicide or a terrible car accident in the raw moment of the doctor saying, we couldn't save your child. And, and the ghost ship fire and places, you know, like what I want to tell you is there is an incredible difference when a person goes through those kinds of things and they have a relationship with the living God, and a person that goes through those kinds of things and does not have a relationship with the living God, there is a marked observational difference. I can, you know, I just, and I think to myself when people, when I'm going to one of these scenes, I, I just wonder, I say, do, these, do any of these people know Christ? Does anyone know the comfort that only God can give to them? And I'm hoping that just my presence somehow will in some way introduce them in the most appropriate way possible to the God that can bring comfort in those kinds of horrific situations. But what I'm wanting you to know and hear and see right now is that if you don't have this relationship with God, you need it. You need Him in your life. I've met with people that say, I don't, I don't know how anybody gets through this kind of thing if they don't know God. They don't have a relationship with God. Giving back is the healthy response to when we have been given comfort. So if you found comfort in your cancer, you could volunteer in one of those places. This is a beautiful thing about pain represented in this room. Think about all the pain that's represented here this morning. I'm not trying to depress anybody. But when you look at a, a size of a crowd like this, there's a lot of pain here. If we could only harness this kind of pain and turn it around for others' benefit, can you imagine the comfort potential of this gathered group of people today? And that's what we're here for. We're here to be reminded of what God has given to us because we're about to head out into our mission field. In just a few minutes, we're heading down John Drive or up John Drive. And we're leaving this campus and we're going to go out into workplaces and neighborhoods where we're going to hear about and sometimes into our own homes where there's just crazy stuff going on. Hmm. How we need each other. Our dear friends Tom and Holly Love, you know, they sit right down here. Most Sundays they're not here today, but over the last 24 hours I've been asking them, can I tell a little bit of your story? They said, of course, please. Because last spring... 
they were on a missions trip themselves. He's a dental, uh, he's a doctor for dentistry, and he goes on these missions trips, and they do dental work all over the world. And while he was traveling with his wife overseas, they get a phone call from a family member saying that their oldest daughter, Rebecca, had taken her life. And I was in Thailand when I got this message, and Pastor Mark and I, we were there together, and we gathered in prayer and just, oh my goodness, the craziness of all that, to have an adult child take their life. And coming back and sitting down with them just a few weeks after all this had taken place, I'll never forget how both of them in tears, in absolute racked pain, and they still are today, said to me, we know God wants to use this in some way. And if we'll be faithful, we know that God will use the heartache of our own experience to help somebody else. And I thought, wow, to have that kind of sense in the midst of their pain. And then there was Tony and Sharon who a few years ago lost their adult daughter. The same kind of story, almost identical in many ways. And as soon as I told Tony and Sharon about Tom and Holly, they said, we've got to talk to them. We've got to put our arms around them. We've got to cry with them. And that's what this is about. This is about being real with people about what's really going on in our lives. Which brings us to the third thing about giving back, and that is that giving back not only starts with knowing God's character, giving back is the healthy response. Number three, giving back ensures that others facing similar challenges will experience the same comfort too. Look at verse six, the end of verse six which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. You know what happens when we comfort each other and we find comfort from God? We lock in, we lean in, and we survive because God is with us. How many of you have adult children? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, we've got adult children. Has there been seasons in your life as parents of adult children that you're like going, Yeah. You know, once in a while I get a little window of somebody coming to me and saying, oh, you don't know what's going on with my adult child, blah, 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 and they tell me all this stuff, and I go, wow, I can totally relate. And I tell them a little bit of our story and some things, and they go, what? (laughs) And suddenly people feel all better about their situation. (laughs) Not because my situation was worth, but just because my situation can relate. You know, it's just a beautiful thing to know that we're all in this together, that nobody's arrived, that we're all in process, that God is good, that he brings comfort to us. And if you need to know that as a pastor, there's drama sometimes in the Vold house, I'm glad you know that. If that encourages you, praise God. And we've got great kids. I love my kids, but they're adult kids. (laughs) No more needs to be said. (laughs) Oh, man. Here's some steps before we leave today. First of all, in appropriate settings, have the courage to share what's really going on in your life. In appropriate settings. That's why we push community in our church. Because you gotta know and be known to feel comfortable to share with somebody what's really going on in your life. Secondly, if you need help with someone, something, ask for it. If one of these care ministries can minister to you, go after it. Give it a try. 
Take a step. And lastly, if you've been through something that you know God met you in, why don't you consider giving a season of your life, maybe it's the next three months, or maybe it's the next calendar year, to investing in some kind of ministry that would leverage what you've learned going through your stuff. And watch what God will do. Keeping it together requires giving back. And I hope this morning we're willing to do that.